Good afternoon. I'm Julie Davis, immediate past president of City Club of Portland's Board of Governors. It's my pleasure to welcome you to today's program. At its best, City Club is a place where civic change sparks action. To this end, in place of a traditional tribal or land acknowledgement, I would like to open today's program with a call to action in support of indigenous communities. While land acknowledgements are intended to honor lands, people, and tribes, Native and Indigenous communities who have been longtime stewards of our land, they often oversimplify tribal histories and fail to recognize the ongoing impact of colonization that tribal communities and individuals of Indigenous descent live with to this day. That is why we share this call to action a practice that was developed by Indigenous staff members at Ecotrust. We also thank the Oregon chapter of American Leadership Forum, which has generously shared this practice with City Club. To support Indigenous people and tribes, you can take action in your community by advocating for and working to give lands back to tribes, by protecting the environment and salmon. They are critical to tribal culture. By insisting that the United States respect tribal sovereignty and uphold its trust responsibility to tribes, which includes appropriate levels of federal funding to support tribal needs. By expecting civic leaders who serve you to understand tribal governments, sovereignty, relationships, and law. By investing in tribal economies, by supporting tribal-owned businesses, by challenging and rejecting stereotypes about Indigenous people, by insisting that your children and grandchildren are taught accurately about the histories, cultures, and contemporary lives of Indigenous people in your school system and by informing yourself about issues impacting Indigenous communities and remembering to speak up. As you consider what it looks like to care for and better this place we all call home, we encourage you to do your part by taking these and other actions. Today's City Club is hosting a debate on measure 114, the changes to firearm ownership and purchase requirements initiative. Measure 114 is a statewide ballot measure that is on this fall's ballot. More than a hundred years ago, City Club hosted its first debate. While much has changed since then, City Club continues to be an independent, nonpartisan organization committed to provide, providing a space for people to gather and participate in lively conversations about the critical issues confronting our communities. Now more than ever, City Club is working to build and steward an open and inclusive public square where all Oregonians are welcome for the exchange of ideas, discussion, and debate about the issues that matter most in our communities and at the ballot box. 
The public square we envision ties together the fundamental elements to, to solving complex problems. First, a space to learn and deepen understanding. Second, a space to bridge vantage points and build relationships. And third, a space to spark collaboration and action. If this mission resonates with you, I invite you to join us as a member or donor today. Now through October 31st, you can become a member of City Club at a special rate of just $10 per month or $125 per year. Learn more by visiting pdxcityclub.org. City Club is sustained through the generous support of our members, donors, partners, and sponsors. We are grateful for the collective contributions from all of our donors and hope you'll join them. Today, we want to thank our partners who have hosted in today's program and made it possible, Chevron and The Standard. Thanks also to our media partners, X-Ray FM and Open Signal for making this program accessible on public radio and television. Before we start, I want to recognize and thank the producers of today's debate, Rebecca Tweed and Bobby Regan, City Club Communications Manager, Kayla Kennett, and the entire Fall 2020 Debate Committee. It is now my pleasure to welcome Pete Ferryman, moderator for today's debate. Pete anchors the five o'clock, six o'clock, and 10 o'clock news each weekday at Fox 12 Oregon. After graduating from the University of Oregon, Pete started his TV news career in Eugene, then anchored the morning news for the CB affiliate in Las Vegas. He returned to Oregon in 2000 to anchor Good Day Oregon for 15 years. He began his evening anchor role at KPTV in 2015. Over the course of his 30-year career, Pete's anchoring and reporting work has been recognized with multiple Emmy Awards. Please join me in welcoming Pete. Julie, thanks so much. Where have all the years gone? Uh, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. And welcome everyone to the City Club's debate featuring representatives supporting and opposing statewide Measure 114. Before we begin, I wanna provide some background on Measure 114. If passed, it would require a permit to purchase a gun in the state and ban the sale or transfer of gun magazines that hold more than 10 rounds. To get a permit, Oregonians would need to pass a background check, undergo a safety training course at their own expense and pay a fee. The background check would be more extensive than the current check for gun buyers. For example, the state can deny a permit if they determine an applicant is reasonably likely to be a danger to themselves or others. This determination would be based on the applicant's mental or psychological state or a past pattern of behavior involving violence or threats of violence. The state police would maintain a new permit and firearm database, and the measure would criminally prohibit certain magazines with some exceptions. Meanwhile, the result of a no vote would retain current laws. As it stands now, the seller or transferer of a firearm must request a criminal background check. 
uh, permit and or safety course is not required, and Oregon currently has no magazine capacity restrictions. We have about 90 minutes for this debate, and I know you're eager to hear from both the yes and no sides of Measure 114, so let me introduce our speakers and outline the ground rules. Representing the yes side today are Miles Rowe Pendleton, president of the Eugene Springfield NAACP, and John Hummel, district attorney for Deschutes County. Representing the no side is Kevin Sterrett, the director of the Oregon Firearms Federation. We thank you all for being with us today. With that, let's get to the ground rules. Each side will have two minutes for an opening statement. Once the statements have concluded, we'll move to my questions for the campaigns. Once those moderated questions have concluded, the campaigns will each ask one question to the opposing side. From there, we'll move on to audience questions. City Club has solicited questions in advance from members of the community, and all viewers who registered on the City Club link were given the opportunity to ask a question. I will choose from those questions. One interesting trademark of this debate is what we're calling free speech passes. If the yes or no side would like to rebut a point made by their opponent or extend their own answer time or even clarify a response, the campaign representative simply needs to let the moderator know that they would like to use their free speech pass. Each side has two passes worth 30 seconds each. Free speech passes may not be used during intro or closing remarks. And finally, we'll close the debate with a two minute statement from each side. My intention is to distribute the questions and the time equally. However, as moderator, I reserve the right to ask for clarification should it be appropriate and helpful to the discussion. You have 20 seconds to respond to a clarifying question. Earlier, we flipped a coin to determine who would give the opening remarks first and the yes side won the coin toss. You have two minutes, please begin. Well, greetings everyone. My name is Miles Pendleton and I serve as president for the Eugene Sprinkle branch of the NAACP. It's a great joy and honor being able to join you all today alongside Jen Hommel, district attorney for Deschutes County. We're here today to strongly urge all Oregonians to vote yes on Measure 114. Just as you articulated, Measure 114 is looking to employ uh, a permit to purchase a system so that anybody who is going to be purchasing a firearm would have to first get a permit. We're looking to do background checks and to close the current loophole that exists where after three days, a firearm distributor has the agency to provide a potential buyer the uh, firearm before the background check has been completed. And we're also looking to ensure that there's a safety training series so that any firearm owner has gone through and done the due diligence of being trained on how to use a firearm responsibly to protect not only themselves, but certainly their community as well. And last but certainly not least, we're looking at a magazine capacity limit of 10, um, just as you articulated. I'd also like to bring attention to the fact that while we rightly and correctly view gun violence as a health sector issue, it certainly prevails beyond those contexts as well. When we think about uh, gun violence, it's also an economic issue. It is an educational related issue, and it's certainly of families and community related issue as well. And, and just proving that point, I would like to uh, sort of indicate and talk um, or demonstrate, I should say, that we have a large coalition of organizations, individuals who are in support of this, certainly endorsers as well. And they range from endorsements all the way from the Portland Business Alliance, Stand for Children, Oregon Education Association, and certainly also local publications as well as statewide publications ranging from the uh, Daily Historian, the Ben Bulletin, 
Eugene Weekly, Portland Mercury, The Oregonian, as well as The Willamette Week. So I look forward to engaging in all these conversations further. It's a great joy once again to be here. And I'm glad we're taking the necessary steps to have these critical and sometimes difficult conversations to best understand how we might be able to move our state forward. Okay, moving on to Mr. Sterrett now. Thank you. 114 is an incoherent measure drafted by people who admit they know nothing about firearms and have irrational fears of them. The measure is so poorly drafted that in addition to referring to statutes that don't exist, it actually contradicts itself, first defining the permit it requires as an authorization to purchase a firearm, and later saying the permit is not an authorization to buy a firearm. The same people it requires to administer and enforce it have said they oppose it and see no way to comply with it. It creates a massive unfunded mandate that its supporters deny exists, but also say it's someone else's problem. It creates, creates requirements that are so extreme, its defenders have had been reduced to fabricating preposterous claims that completely contradict the stated purpose of the measure. While proponents claim they want to ensure people who buy guns can properly handle them, they also claim you can get the permit by pretending to fire a gun, an absurd assertion that the very language of the measure demonstrates isn't true. It doxes the most endangered people in our society, exposing them to serious harm or death while provably doing nothing to reduce crime. It's modeled after racist laws that were created to keep guns out of the hands of minorities and, in fact, did prevent Martin Luther King from getting a gun legally. While its defenders claim it has overwhelming support for minorities, both the Oregon and, Dem and Multnomah County Democrat parties have refused to endorse it because of the harmful effects it will have on minorities. It claims to close a fictitious loophole that doesn't exist and had nothing so whatsoever to do with the Charleston murders. It decimates youth shooting sports. In short, the measure is a fraud promoted by a dishonest media and is as misleading as the ballot measure that now has our streets littered with the bodies of overdose victims. I ask that you look beyond the emotional and empty rhetoric and actually examine what the measure does. All right, gentlemen, thank you all. Uh, let's move on to the uh, moderator questions. I have developed a series of questions related to Measure 114 and its potential impact. Each side will have a 90 seconds to respond. And at 90 seconds, please complete your sentence. Please note that if you continue beyond that, you'll be muted and we will move on. And I'd like to begin with a question for the opposition. Mr. Sterrett, as you know, this measure has three main components. First, it requires a permit to own a gun, including a background check, a safety training, and a fee for the permit. Secondly, it requires that police maintain a new permit and firearms database. And third, it prohibits certain ammunition magazines, as we've mentioned. My question, which part of this measure are you most opposed to? And are there any elements there that you do support? No, there are no elements that we support, and we're opposed to all of it, of course. Our biggest concern is the public database of rape and domestic violence victims that this measure demands. You know, a person applies for a permit, doesn't even get it, and now their name and address will be exposed to the public. So the fact that the most vulnerable people will have their rights taken away, their ability to protect themselves, have their private information published, have, have devices that they've owned safely and lawfully for years turn them into criminals and end youth shooting, all of these are measures that we think are completely abhorrent and, and people should be aware of. All right. Well, let's uh, turn now to the supporters of the measure. I uh, want to address the various steps that would be required to purchase a gun. As we've mentioned, the gun safety course, a paying a fee, the criminal background check, and having the state determine whether an applicant is a danger to themselves or others. 
given all those requirements, is it realistic to assume that criminals would go through this process? And if not, is it reasonable to then conclude that this measure will mainly target law-abiding gun owners? Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, as, as you correctly stated, here's how the process goes, right? Someone wants to purchase a gun, they'll go to their local sheriff or police chief, and they'll have to go through a, a, a criminal background check. And also they'll have to show proof that they completed a gun safety program. The gun safety program is important for a few reasons. One, it'll reduce accidental shootings, right? Any responsible gun owner tells you that uh, that's important to know the rules of how to handle a firearm safely. And when someone doesn't handle a firearm safely, accidental deaths can result. So one, complete the uh, gun safety training to ensure that we reduce accidental deaths as much as possible. Two, um, that training will discuss the important issues involved with uh, taking one's life uh, by suicide and mental health issues. So one, uh, going through that training, somebody who might be in a mental health crisis will get information that can hopefully get them connected with services. But equally as important, that pause, that time it takes to go through the background check will uh, oftentimes allow that person to get connected with friends and family who might be able to um, give them the help they need to uh, not go through with the ultimate decision uh, to take their life. So that's what the permit to purchase uh, process is about. It will reduce accidental shootings and it will reduce uh, deaths by suicide. And deaths by suicide are the number one cause of gun deaths in Oregon. Thank you. And we'll address the suicide question coming up uh, momentarily and some of the new numbers that have come in. Uh, meantime, a question now for the opposition involving other states that have enacted permit to purchase laws. Measure 114 supporters cite numerous studies that show gun-related homicide deaths have fallen since those laws were enacted in those states. If similar laws in other states have reduced gun-related homicide rates and lives could be saved, why shouldn't Oregon do the same? Well, first, I should note that Mr. Hummel didn't bother to answer your question. But second of all, all the statistics that they're citing are cherry-picked data, that unre unreliable and unsupportable data to begin with. The fact is, almost all of these states that have permit to purchase will have these overturned soon as a result of the Bruin decision in New York. And there really is no evidence that any of what they're saying is true. As a matter of fact, there are now 26 states in the, in the country that require no permit to even carry a firearm. And we've seen none of the, the carnage that they predicted from this. So if you're gonna throw out statistics, I can assure you, I can come back with statistics that completely prove the opposite of this. For example, we've seen a massive increase in firearms violence and concurrently with all of the new firearms regulations that have been introduced since 2015. So I would submit that creating gun control is increasing firearms violence. So let's be careful with statistics, unsupported statistics that are easily refuted. Okay, uh, response from the S side to that? I'll take that. Um, well, who are you gonna rely on? The, the, the Kevin Sterrett School of Data or the Johns Hopkins University uh, School of Data, right? We, we, our side looks to the real data, right? Johns Hopkins University estimates that a similar permit to purchase law passed in Connecticut, lowered the gun homicide rate by 28% and the gun suicide rate by 33%. After the repeal of Missouri's permit to purchase law, gun homicides increased by 47% and the gun suicide rate increased by 23%. Mr. Sterrett represents an organization, admittedly, uh, that he, he said repeatedly, he will never support any gun safety regulation 
whatsoever. So the fact that he wants to just knock this one, don't believe his rhetoric where he says, ah, if it was only different, maybe, you know, the, the implication is maybe he would support it. He is a representative of a group who will never support any gun safety regulation. We're relying on credible data from Johns Hopkins University, not the Kevin Starrett School of Data. Mr. Starrett, a response to that? Certainly. I mean, I looked at the John Hopkins data and the first the first four paragraphs are devoted to explaining all the mistakes it made previously. And as for Missouri, the statistics they want to talk about Missouri, let's look at Missouri. In the year after the, the permit to purchase was taken away, the homicide rate in Missouri was 17 percent above the national average. In the five years while it was in effect, it was 32 percent above the national average. So listen, we can all come up with whatever statistics we want. We saw statistics from OHSU yesterday, which are actually fairly comical. Let's go and look at the actual data. These aren't my statistics. These aren't the result of my extreme position. These are the statistics that are drug up by people from organizations that already have a bias and will reach the conclusions that the people who pay for them want to have. But let's just look in reality. If you look at what's gone on in Portland and, and in other cities in Oregon, since we've introduced more gun control, we've seen a vast increase in violence. So obviously that can be inferred to mean that the introduction of gun control is causing this violence. And you can reach the same conclusion from the Missouri studies. There are all kinds of factors that can go into the increase in homicide rates, who was elected, what the police are doing. So I don't think we should rely on cherry picked data from unreliable sources. All right, a question now for Mr. Pendleton and Mr. Hummel regarding the implementation of the measure. As you know, law enforcement agencies across the state are facing critical staffing shortages. In some areas, there are long waits just to get a 911 call answered. At the same time, the state government has had difficulty enacting recent measures in a timely manner, including the behavioral treatment services promised by Measure 110. Given those staffing shortages and governmental delays that we've seen, should law-abiding citizens be concerned that their request for a permit could be perpetually delayed? That's a question. Uh, Miles, yes. it's, there's two of us, so we have to coordinate. You, you want to take sure, that, Miles? I understood. Or you want me to take it? You got, you got it, John. I'll take the next <laughs> one. All right. Don't want to monopolize this thing. Um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, Pete. Um, here, here's what's important to know. Uh, according to the Oregon State Police, 97% of background checks in Oregon are completed instantly, instantly at the store. Of the remaining 3% that require additional review, over half are completed within 10 days. So now we're talking about that remaining 1% of applicants that require additional time. Those should require additional time because they may involve a, a name change. Someone has had multiple names. So you wanna dig into all of their names, right? Uh, maybe they have a criminal record, but the police, it's not clear if the criminal conviction is a disqualifying conviction. Was it a, a crime involving domestic violence or not? So the Oregon State Police has to dig deeper. And what we've also seen that when background checks take longer than three business days to complete, they are four times more likely to uncover a reason that the applicant is disqualified from uh, purchasing a gun. So that's really what we're talking about. The, Mr. Sterrett wants to stand up for the 1% of people that have a little bit of a delay in their background check. When those 1% of people are four times more likely than others to have a disqualifying basis 
in their past from owning a firearm. The Yes campaign says, hey, 99% of people, will be, law-abiding people will be able to get their gun quickly. And we are going to dig a little more on those 1%. And we're not going to sell that gun unless and until that person passes that check. But just clarify, is it true that the state police would have no time limit to, con to conduct their background check, technically? Well, the time limit is till they uh, complete the background check. And the question is, do you want background checks to be completed prior to the sale of a gun or do you not? Mr. Starrett does not. And we do. Okay. Uh, thank you. Let's move on to Mr. Starrett. A question for you now, sir. If cars are required to be registered in the state of Oregon and drivers are required to be licensed, why shouldn't gun owners be required to do the same? Well, thank you. First of all, Mr. Hummel's statistics are completely false, provably false, and we could get to that in a minute. But I'm glad you brought up cars because, you know, I'd like to see people, uh, the, the registration and the, uh, the uh, regulation of guns match what we do with cars. You know, you don't need a license to buy a car. You don't need a license to keep a car in your driveway. You don't need a license to drive a car on your property. What you need a license for is to operate it in public on public roads. And when you get a license to operate a car at a pretty young age, you can operate any car in any state. You can borrow a person's car. So if you want to start applying the rules from cars to guns, you know, I'd be actually pretty eager to do that. But I'd also like to point out that while we have licensing requirements for cars and drivers, it clearly hasn't prevented people from running each other over and using them in crimes. And so I don't have an objection to driver's licenses. It's not a constitutional right. It hasn't kept people safe. And the analogy simply doesn't make sense. I can have all the cars I want without having a license, requiring a license of any kind. So the analogy simply doesn't, doesn't uh, match up with, the, with, the, the, uh, with what you're talking about here. Okay, uh, a response to that from the yes side? You know, I'll jump in and respond briefly. Uh, public versus private is exactly what we're talking about here. These measures that we're pursuing and implementing is talking about what we're bringing into the public domain when we're interacting with each other as community members. So the example that Kevin Sturek just did it, it affirms our point. I don't know if it was misintentional, but that's exactly what we're talking about here with this measure is that these are the protocols that you would have to employ in order to bring a firearm or, or carry a firearm or how you would have to hold that firearm um, in a public domain. So uh, I don't know what the discrepancy true. is here. That's clearly not true. It has nothing to do with being in a public place. It has to do with having something that you keep in your home. And they're outlawing things that people already have in their home. So Miles' position is absurd. It doesn't make any, make any sense at all. Okay, well, let's move on to, to the next question. We have a question for the yes side. Uh, opponents of Measure 114 say that it will create a searchable database of anyone who has purchased a firearm and that there are no parameters on who has access to that information. In this politically divisive time, should voters be concerned about an invasion of privacy? Is it possible that activists might access that list and use the information to target or dox legal gun owners? Well, Mr. Starrett, uh, people might be fearful after hearing from Mr. Starrett, I've heard him say often that, you know, someone who's at risk of uh, domestic violence could have their uh, record made public to their, you know, abuser. And uh, that that's pretty scary. If it were true, it's a little bit insulting. I spend my career 
working, you know, to fight for, you know, women and other victims of crime who are at risk of getting injured. And I personally have used Oregon law with the victim advocates in my office to keep records private from victims of domestic violence. Oregon law has a procedure that if you have a valid basis for believing that if your information is released, you know, your safety could be put at risk, you can petition to have your records sealed. And it, it's not theoretical. It's quite actionable because I personally have filed those motions to protect uh, you know, women who are at risk of domestic violence. So it is not true that every record uh, is going to be released. Oregon records are generally public unless there's a reason to keep them private. And the safety of someone is a reason to keep it private. So no, the records will not be available to anyone at any time for any purpose. So you're saying that uh, they would be available unless somebody requested that they be sealed? Is, is that what you're saying? Or uh, am I missing something there? Right. Well, it's up to the Oregon legislature to make any exceptions for public records, um, any public records exceptions. They could do that for this particular database. But if they don't do that, any individual would have a right to petition the state to keep their records private. OK, Mr. Starrett, your thoughts. That's absolutely 100% false. I mean, look at the measure. Look at page two of the measure, section C down at the bottom. It clearly says they shall annually publish a report with any information they want to include. So Mr. Hummel is just flat out lying about what's in this measure. And if a person applies for a permit, doesn't even have to receive the permit, applies for this permit, and then has this information public, and then it's up to them to go find a way to make it private, we're putting them at risk. And it's amazing to me that the people who are producing, who created this measure, continue to misinform people about what's in it. You can read it. It's written down. Anybody who wants to read it, it's available to them. And that's what this measure calls for, period. I'm going to take a free speech uh, pass here. Please, um, please. Mr. Starr, let's focus on the facts here. If you're suggesting to people that a report is going to be issued annually that includes the names of everyone who has applied for this, that is flat wrong, okay? I get that you're opposed to this measure and I am in favor of this measure, but we need to come forward with the facts and not uh, your scare tactics. You're wrong. I just read the measure to you, John. You're lying. It's in the measure. Anyone can read it. It's right there on page two. Read it. All right, folks. Well, uh, we, of course, have uh, links to the text of the measure uh, at kptv.com. The City Club does as well, and as does the, uh, the state. So we encourage you to look at the text of the measure for yourself. All right, Mr. Starrett, a question for you. Recent studies have shown that six of every ton, uh, 10 gun deaths in the U.S. are suicides. We, we heard the yes side touch on this briefly a short time ago. In Oregon, 81% of gun deaths are suicides, accounting for approximately 440 lives lost each year. That according to a recent study. Supporters of Measure 114 say that it would help prevent suicides by creating some additional space and time before someone in crisis might be able to access a gun. Given those numbers, doesn't creating more space and time make sense? No, the, the biggest demographic for people committing suicide in Oregon are older white rural men. These are the people most likely to already have firearms. And suicide is a serious problem, but suicide is a mental health issue. And Oregon is very, very good at avoiding mental health issues. And when you look at the other aspects of this measure, which is banning magazines over 10 rounds, as in my experience, most people who commit suicide have done it with fewer than 10 rounds. So that clearly makes no sense. But suicide is 
undeniably a mental health issue, which none of this addresses, just like it doesn't make any attempt to address criminal behavior. There's not a word in this measure to hold people accountable for committing crimes. Miles Pendleton himself has mentioned many times he does not agree with incarcerating people. So what we need to do is address mental health what, it, what the actual problem is, the actual problem is, is that people are in crisis. There are people who, have, who are suffering from despair. Why not address that? Why not address mental illness, which we simply will not do in this state because we can't even open a mental hospital without the permission of the other mental hospitals who don't want it open. So I don't see how mental health really is touched in any way in this measure. A clarifying question really quick. You know, uh, I think you touched on the OHSU study that came out yesterday. Uh, and in that study, it, it talked about or addressed the number of people in rural communities who have been injured or killed uh, by gunfire. Are you uh, saying that the OHSU study is flawed? Well, I have actually, actually have a quote here from the OHSU study, which I'll give to you. You can read it yourself. It says, the firearm injury data in this report do not necessarily represent the number of firearms injuries or the number of individuals with firearms injury injuries. So that coupled with the fact that they have said in the measure, in, the, in their report, that firearms injuries have gone up almost perfectly concurrently with new firearms restrictions and regulations makes me wonder exactly what their point is. And on top of that, you know, they say, Firearms injuries peaked in August of 2021, which, as most of us know, was also the height of Portland's annual riot season. So I don't know how many conclusions you can draw from a report that specifically says it doesn't report what they say they report in it. The, 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 you know, the report is there for people who want to read it. All right. Uh, Mr. Hummel and Mr. Pendleton, a lot there. Your response? Certainly, I'll take this one. Um, you know, first, first and foremost, you know, Mr. Starrett has, has misrepresented what I've said. He's misquoting me. So I'll just put that out there again. Like once again, let's let's commit to the facts here. And as you stated in your opening when asking the question initially, the statistics show that putting a pause in between somebody's ability to purchase a firearm from their moment of greatest desperation does lead to saving lives. That is what the statistics show. And that is what the statistics show nationwide. So those are the facts. Those are the statistics that is grounded in reality. And also to the point that, you know, this is a mental health issue, we need to focus on that. Certainly we need to focus on mental health as well, but this isn't an either or situation. Every study that's been conducted shows that the modality that people, uh, uh, the modality of attempted suicides matters and it impacts whether somebody is successful in complete suicide or whether they are not. And so in that regard, sure, let's work towards improving mental health supports also. But right now in this moment, we have an opportunity to make it more difficult so that those struggling with mental health are not as able to get that vehicle that they are using to commit and succeed in suicide in that moment. And so that's just the fact of the matter right now. That's the fact of the matter. And this is what the statistics show. Mr. Starrett, your response? Statistics don't show anything because Miles says they show. You know, what we'll hear from this other side constantly is the statistics show, the reports show. Well, show us the statistics. And the fact is, I've been on two other interviews with Miles, and in both cases, he has specifically said he does not believe in incarcerating people. Those videos are available on YouTube. Anybody can go watch them. He has said it. That's the truth. Those are just the facts. And so to continuously say the statistics show without providing them, while at the same time, I can show you statistics that show exactly the opposite. I've been involved in suicide prevention groups, and, th and they say two things. They say, 
either suicide is an impulsive act or they say suicide is planned for weeks or months at a time. These are questions we don't have answers to, but the answer is not to take away the rights and the ability of people to defend themselves, take those rights away from good law abiding people, which is what this measure will do. Mr. Pendleton, I'm gonna let you respond to that. Certainly. Well, you know, I would encourage, as, as, as we stated, you know, I encourage folks to look at the statistics we've referenced, we quote them, please visit that you vote yes on measure114.org to engage with those statistics as mentioned. And again, Mr. Surrett misquoted me and I would encourage folks to watch those videos. They contain a wealth of information. I never said I don't believe in incarceration. I said that incarceration does not decrease violence, which is a sound fact dated and represented across numerous different scientific studies, empirical studies from all across the nation. So you, a clarification for you, uh, Mr. Pendleton, you're, you're saying that incarceration, including incarceration of violent criminals, does not lead to a reduction in, in violent crime? I would encourage the populace to go and read the literature surrounding whether or not mass incarceration, as we've seen it played out over the last 20, 30 years, has led to a reduction in crime violence. And the answer, as empirical studies have shown, is no. It is cognitive dissonance and it's sort of implicit bias for us to think so. It's what we innately jump to, but in reality, it's not grounded in scientific fact. Mr. Starrett. Uh, once again, you know, he won't answer the question. He, he says that he doesn't believe incarceration reduces violent crime, but he does believe in incarceration. And if you look at this measure, once again, as is so typical of all gun control measures, it criminalizes behavior that hurts no one, puts law-abiding people in danger, and doesn't do a single thing to hold criminals accountable for their behavior. Uh, Mr. Starrett, a uh, question for you, though. Uh, you know, what, do you agree that a reduction in the number of guns that are in the state of Oregon uh, would lead to a reduction in gun violence? I, I, I don't know how you could possibly even answer that question. I mean, that, that doesn't really have, there's no statistics to apply to it. I believe what, re, what reduces gun violence is taking predators off the street and offering mental health assistance for people who, who need it. I don't think that the number of inanimate objects plays a part in anything. Guns do not shoot themselves. It's people's behavior that needs to be adjusted and looked at, not an inanimate object that does nothing on its own. All right, Mr. Starrett, a, a question for you then. Uh, measure 114, as you know, would outlaw ammunition magazines that carry more than 10 rounds of ammunition. Why is it necessary for a law-abiding hunter or a gun owner interested in self-defense to have a magazine that contains more than 10 rounds? Well, hunters have nothing to do with this measure, and hunters already can have magazines with over, over 10 rounds. But I think the actual question, which no one wants to ask, is where did this number come from, and why should we prevent somebody who's a law-abiding person what is the magic of saying, I can't have 11 rounds in a magazine, but I can have five, 10 round magazines? And where, where is the statistics? Where's the study that shows that 10 rounds is the exact number that anyone needs to solve any violent confrontation under any circumstance? Where, where, is the, where, where does the idea come from that what a person, I mean, how do we determine what a person needs when they're in a violent confrontation. We see this all the time. 10 rounds can be expended very quickly when you've got multiple sounds in a, in a dynamic violent situation. So I don't see how need comes into it. The question is, 
Why should you deny a single mom protecting her family that 11th or 12th round that she might need to defend herself? I don't understand the, I don't understand the logic or the science in it. All right, let's get a response to that from the yes side. Yeah, sometimes Mr. Sturt wants to use common sense and sometimes he wants to use data. I get it, we all do that, right? If common sense helps you use that, if data helps you use that. Um, okay, um, on this fact, we have common sense and data and it's irrefutable. We all know commonsensically, if somebody goes out to do a mass shooting, if they have a large capacity magazine, they're going to be able to kill more people. We know that many times these mass shootings are thwarted midway when someone has to take the clip out of their rifle and put another one in that allows someone to tackle them. So we know that common sense. Now, and we also have the data, 62% more deaths occur at mass shootings when high capacity magazines are used by the shooter. Why should Mr. Sterrett want somebody to have a large capacity magazine when they go into a grocery store to mow people down when their whole goal is to get their kill count as high as possible? The larger the magazine, the larger the kill count. That's why uh, we want to cap those magazine sizes. All right, Mr. Sterrett, uh, your response to that. Certainly. Uh, look at the, you know, Oregon Public Broadcasting, you know, no bastion of pro-gun, you know, rhetoric, just had a story recently by the RAND, the RAND Corporation, you know, the not exactly a right-wing organization saying that there's no conclusive evidence that magazine bans have any effect on anything. And the fact is 62% higher rate of death when magazines are used, 62% higher than what, you know, and this idea that, well, People are stopped because they're changing magazines. Let's see some examples of that. The fact is, is that a perpetrator has all of the advantages. When they go into a situation and they're gunning people down, they have the advantages to plan the attack, to have a second gun, to have a second magazine. What Mr. Hummel and Mr. Pendleton want to do is deny people who are protecting themselves the ability to respond to that attack. And a ban on magazines is pointless since they're completely unregulated everywhere else in the country. If I, if, I, if I may jump in here, I, I, I really Please, have Mr. to jump in here. The OPB article that, that Mr. Surrett quotes says the exact opposite of what he just articulated. That was a clear and present misrepresentation of the facts. The OPB article stated that the director of the RAND Corporation studies that oversee this gun violence and gun violence prevention, it stated that a ban on high capacity magazines has demonstrated to prevent mass shootings. It says that very clearly and very overtly, Mr. Threat has misrepresented the facts once again on I this OPB read, article. I can read from the study, which I have in my hands, if you'll allow me. And it Please says- Please read the actual study, sir. Please read the actual study, not your handwritten notes. That banning high capacity magazines might raise prices in the months before a ban takes effect, but the impact on things like mass shootings or violent crime was inconclusive. I just read it from the study, Miles. There it is. All right. Well. Uh, Let's uh, clarify something for the audience, and uh, just in case people are not familiar with the measure itself. Uh, it, it, I guess this question is for the. Looks like we're having some interference there. Right uh, now, the, the, I, I think Mr. Pendleton is locking up. Okay, it, of course, this is the 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 world of Zoom calls, folks. So bear with us, Mr. Pendleton. I, I think your si signal was locking up there a little bit. Would you please repeat what you had to say there? I said, I have the article right in front of me. I can read it. Okay. 
exactly what it says. It does not say that. And equate to the actual published article that is online as we speak. Okay. Uh, we apologize for the technical delay, but uh, obviously a difference of opinion between the two of you as to what that RAND study says. We encourage people to read it for themselves. Uh, as I was saying, uh, a question for you know people in the audience uh, may have this question. They want it to be answered. If you are currently uh, a law-abiding gun owner and you own a magazine uh, or several magazines that are over 10 rounds, what, what happens to you? Are those outlawed? Are you grandfathered in? Well, you, you, are, you are grandfathered in to the extent that you may keep them in your home. However, you're still subject to being charged with a crime for having them if you cannot prove that you purchased them or acquired them before this went into effect. And of course, that's impossible. There's no way to demonstrate when you acquired something that has no serial numbers or identifying marks on it. It can't be done. And so a person who has one of these magazines in his home could still be charged with the, with the violation of having the magazine, and they could be charged with that over and over and over again, because if they are charged, the measure calls for what's called an affirmative defense, which means it's up to you to prove your innocence. If you prove your innocence, that somehow you prove when you acquired this magazine, there's nothing to prevent the authorities from charging you again for the same magazine because you can't identify it from any other magazine. And of course, if you leave the house with it, unless you're going to an authorized shooting event, now you're committing a crime, as will any police officer who clocks off the job, finishes his shift with the magazines that are exempt while he's on duty. As soon as he goes off duty, he's now breaking the law by simply going home with the same magazine he carried on duty. All right, uh, Mr. Hummel, I want to ask you uh, a lot there. Your response to that, is, is, is that the case? Sure, the, the grandfather magazine uh, issue is, is a good one to talk about. For 180 days after passage of this measure, anyone who has a non-conforming magazine, they can sell it to a licensed dealer. You know, if they, if they want to, if they're concerned about the things Mr. Sturrett said, they can sell it and then buy conforming magazines, but they don't have to sell it. Um, they're also allowed to keep it in their home. They're allowed to bring it to a gun dealer for repair. They're allowed to bring it to a shooting range. They're allowed uh, to use it for hunting and they're allowed to use it for any, to, for transporting along the way. And Mr. Sarrett says, well, you might be charged uh, with the crime unless you uh, can prove when you bought it. Not true at all. It's up to prosecutors and police to prove you've committed a crime. No one has to prove they're innocent. It's going to be a really difficult case to make out. I'm not looking to, uh, do gotcha prosecutions here. Um, it's going to be a very difficult case to prove. The vast majority of time, law enforcement officers and district attorneys uh, won't, won't not know when you purchase that magazine. So we will not be able to bring uh, criminal charges. This is about going forward. Um, going backward, uh, there's a grandfather clause. To clarify, the Hummel doesn't know what an affirmative defense is, which is kind of nerve wracking considering he's a district attorney, is absolutely wrong. You know, the fact is, is that you would have to somehow prove when you got it, which you simply cannot do. And millions of these are in circulation now. They're available in any other state. So the whole thing's a fraud and a giant canard. Mr. Starrett, let's go get a beer sometime and I can talk to you about criminal prosecutions if you want. OK, me yeah, and the police and other prosecutors cannot would, bring charges unless we have evidence that someone has committed a crime. Gentlemen, gentlemen, I'm out. We're going to do this one at a time. All right, because the folks at home can't can't understand uh, what's happening when you both talk at the same time. So, uh, Mr. Hummel, your response to what Mr. Starrett said. Yeah, Mr. Starrett said, uh, I don't know how to prosecute a crime. Well, <laughs> uh, 
You're wrong, Mr. Stewart. And uh, here's the deal. Just to say it again, police and prosecutors cannot arrest or prosecute someone for a crime unless we have evidence that they've committed a crime. The affirmative defense Mr. Sterrett is talking about is an added protection that doesn't exist for most crimes. That says, you know, if the police or prosecutors get it wrong, this is in the special class of defenses of, of crimes that has an affirmative defense where the suspect can uh, address that defense at trial and that is added. There is very few crimes that have that added protection. That doesn't take away from the fact that someone can't be charged unless the prosecutor believes there's evidence sufficient to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Mr. Starrett, just 20 seconds. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity because you were we were talking over you. Please. Representing both the law and what the measure does. And in fact, if it were true, then we wouldn't need to add the affirmative defense because people theoretically are innocent until proven guilty. But in this case, that's not what that means. And the fact is, is that it's impossible to prove your innocence. And it is no possible way to prove when you acquired a magazine that has no regular, no identifying marks on it. And Mr. Hummel should be aware of that. All right. A uh, question now for the yes side. Many in the law enforcement community say that gun deaths skyrocketed immediately following the 2020 protests. What they say was the delegitimization of police, the elimination of the gun violence reduction team in Portland and a reduction in prosecutions from the Multnomah County DA's office. If reducing gun deaths is the ultimate goal here, would it be a more effective use of your energy and effort to address those issues instead? Miles, you want me to take this one? Please. Yeah, I think Miles got it. You want him to do it? Uh, yes, yeah, you got it. All right, sorry about that. I'll, I'll take this one and, and go short, Miles. Maybe you can jump in at the end. Um, well, one, we have to never forget, right? The oh, approximately 80% of gun deaths are caused by suicide. And so this measure addresses that with the permit to purchase. So let, let's not get diverted. Um, regarding uh, the increase in, in uh homicides in Multnomah County. I'm not an expert on in Multnomah County. Um, use of uh, violent crime in Deschutes County has uh, plummeted during my term. But uh, the issue in Multnomah County, well, in major cities, we've seen um, homicides increase, and that's been connected to the pandemic. It's not been connected to any uh, protests regarding policing. Uh, Mr. Sterrett can bring forth uh, any study he'd want to refute that, but it doesn't exist. We saw a slight increase in crime during the COVID lockdowns, and we've seen decreases in crime in the most recent year. Um, and, and the vast majority of deaths by guns are deaths by, by uh, suicide. And that, that's a fact. All right, Mr. Sterrett, I'll allow you to respond to that. Well, I don't know, maybe Mr. Hummel doesn't have a TV. But, you know, I've watched years of people being dragged out of their cars by predators in Portland and beaten and he's saying that there's this is related to the pandemic. No, this is related to the inability of the police to respond to violent crime, which is taking place on our streets all the time because of the policies that that people like Mr. Hummel propose and, and, and recommend this. There's just no denying it. You know, the, the crime in our cities has skyrocketed. And to suggest that this has to do with a passing illness simply makes no sense. And I'll leave that up to your audience to decide if they think what he's saying is in any way defensible. All right, Mr. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Pendleton. Yeah, I, I just have to point out here, you know, this is the same super predator language and rhetoric that we saw first take root in the 70s and 80s that instigated and made the exception of mass incarceration 
administration the United States society, the same super predator that we have now clearly connected that was based and rooted in inequity and in prejudice and bigotry intentionally. So I really, really do push back and take a front to that rhetoric about describing people as predators and all that nature. I mean, it is clearly and overtly um, of, of prejudice nature. It is filled with implicit bias. And I want the viewers at home just to be aware of that and to please do make that connection because it is the same rhetoric that we have seen or saw take root in the 70s and the 80s that were used as a catalyst to instigate mass incarceration that was clearly a racist uh, racist ploy. The predators in Portland are white, Miles, so let's knock off the racist garbage, okay? The first person to use the term was Hillary Clinton, to my knowledge. The people I'm referring to were not minorities, they're white people. So to accuse me of racism is a pretty cheap shot and obviously a pretty weak argument. All right, uh, gentlemen, we need to... Uh wrap up this portion, the moderator question uh, portion of the debate right now, and, and move on uh, to the questions that you have for each other. Each side of this debate was asked to prepare a question for the other. We ask that you ask your question in 30 seconds or less, and please ask your question in the form of a question. You have 60 seconds to respond. And Mr. Hummel and Mr. Pendleton, what is your question for Mr. Sterrett? Uh, I'll take that. Uh, Mr. Sterrett, do you believe people... Uh who have not uh, completed a criminal background check should be able to purchase firearms. I believe they should not be not denied their constitutional rights because of the inability of the police to do their job. Okay, well, uh, that was uh, remarkably uh, quick. Uh, let's okay. get now to- Yes, was the answer. Uh, okay. I, well, uh, I answered the question, Mr. Hummel, you don't have to answer it for me. We'll, we'll let the audience decide uh, uh, what the answer was and, and uh, determine it from there. Uh, Mr. Starrett, your question now for the Yes on 114 campaign. Yeah, we've seen the Yes on 114 people have not answered a single question during this debate. I have no expectation they'll answer this one. Could you please provide the research and methodology you use to determine the 10 rounds is the exact number of rounds needed for a person to, to deal with a violent confrontation? Okay. And uh, of course, in your closing statements, uh, both sides will have an opportunity to sum up some of these arguments and uh, make sure that the audience understands their position. Right now, it is time for audience questions. Uh, as noted earlier, did we get speak an answer to that question? Though? Did we get an answer to that question? Uh, well, uh, if you want to, if you want to use, the, you do have one, one more. Uh, 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 well, they asked me a question and I answered it. I asked them a question and they were silent. Okay. Uh, obviously a disagreement there, folks. We do need no, to move no, on. We're, we're happy to well, answer. Gentlemen, gentlemen, here's the deal. You can, you can address this in your closing statement, okay? If, if you want to make a statement or, or state that one side didn't answer a question or one side did, we, we can uh, address that now. So think about that as we approach the uh, closing, uh, closing statements. Right now, I do want to get to those audience questions. Uh, as noted earlier, City Club solicited questions in advance. I have chosen which to ask, and you have 60 seconds to respond. And a lot of these questions are, are housekeeping, uh, people curious about specific things within the measure. So these questions uh, will probably be addressed to the yes side. Uh, Josh uh, wrote in to ask uh, that there have been a number of ideas deliberated on the topic of gun reform. One of those ideas includes beefing up security and having armed guards at high-trafficked areas such as schools, shopping malls, and airports. Does Measure 114 seek to enact any changes that will increase security and help protect our most at-risk destinations from the threat of gun violence? 
And that question is for the yes side. Well, I'll, I'll, well we both can answer that. Uh, no, that doesn't address uh, that topic, no. Okay, uh, let's, let's move on to some other ones. Uh, Josh uh, asks, there have been a number of ideas deliberated on the topic of gun reform. One of those ideas includes, uh, actually check that. Uh, that's a question we just asked, but we're, we're getting these in. Uh, so you'll have to uh, bear with me. Okay, here's the question from Betty. So forgive me folks, uh, I'm getting information in my ear at the same time. So here's, here's uh, Betty's question. Betty asks, when measure 114 passes, which agencies, what agencies will be responsible for the cost of training those seeking a gun permit? And that's for the yes side. I can take this one. And that is the exact process that we're going to go through, through the implementation process. You know, folks at home need to realize that should this pass and when this passes, there's an entire legislative process that they go through with regards to implementation, which will ensure that we find those funding sources, that we find the different avenues and the different levers that we need to pull in order to ensure that this is implemented across every single way as it needs to be done in an equitable way, in a fair way, in an effective way, so on and so forth. So that is the process. And those are the questions that are answered uh, through the implementation process that would follow with the Oregon State Legislature, the uh, passage of this measure. There's nothing in this measure that calls for an implementation process, not a single word. Okay, moving on. Uh, Patricia asks, and, and this, this question was addressed a little bit earlier uh, in response to one of my questions, but uh, this refers to, to more about guns being grandfathered in rather than the ammunition magazines. So Patricia's question, if I already own a gun, do I need to register it with this new database that will be created with the passage of Measure 114, or will it be grandfathered in? Now, this is a permit to purchase a firearm. It's not a permit to own a firearm. So if you already own a firearm, you do not have to obtain a, a, a new permit. It's a permit to purchase, not a per permit to own. However, if you own a shotgun, that will be illegal under this measure. That is not true. Shotguns are not banned. I was glad to prove it. It's absolutely true. Most it's shotguns not true. are banned under this measure because the people who wrote it do not understand how firearms work. The magazine ban will ban most conventional and sporting shotguns. That is a fact. Colorado and Vermont have a similar permit to purchase and similar magazine capacity law. It is not banned uh, pump action it's not, it's shotguns. Not the same. This will ban sporting shotguns, period. We'll have to leave that it at is, that. You're wrong. Kevin. Those are the facts. Your magazine ban will outlaw almost all shotguns. All right. Well, folks are, are going to have to read the measure for themselves to uh, determine uh, which is true. Uh, meantime, let's move on to Barbara. Uh, Barbara asks, the Scanner newspaper recently reported on a statewide firearm injury report. The report makes clear that people of color are injured at a disproportionately higher rate compared with their share of the overall population. How does this measure help address this disproportionate harm of firearms to our communities of color? And we'll ask Mr. Starrett that question. I don't see how this measure does anything but prevent people of color from being able to purchase firearms and forcing them to ask for permission from the very police agencies they frequently distrust. You know, the agent, the, the measure gives complete and total control to police agencies. And these are the same people who said that they distrust the police because the justice system is racist. So how this helps black people is a mystery to me. And, you know, we've spoken to black people. We have quotes on our website 
from Think Black, a website specifically protecting black people and minorities saying this is a bad idea and to vote against it. I want to get a response to that from the yes side. You know, you know, I'm glad you've spoken, apparently spoken to some black folk because you're speaking to another one now who disagrees and clearly and firmly states, you know, within my role and within my organization as the NAACP, the oldest and largest civil rights organization in the United States, that this measure will, in fact, push us closer to equity. Because as we have seen over the last several years, whenever we have tried to bring a uh, gun legislation reform bill to the Oregon State Legislature, it hasn't even made it out of committee. And so by passing this measure, not only does it put, send this to the implementation process that is intrinsic and necessary with the passage of any measure, by the way, um, but it sends it there with the requirement based upon, you know, the different conversations that we're having right now, the different proposals that our equity committee within the Yes on Measure 114 coalition are putting together as we speak to necessitate that conversation surrounding how do we implement gun legislation reform equitably? How do we take into consideration those different experiences, those disparate impacts, outcomes, so on and so forth, to ensure that as we take corrective action, we don't just create another inequity in doing so. And so it fosters and necessitates that conversation on the floor of the Oregon State Legislature, which has been evasive and elusive to this point through any other avenue or mechanism that's been employed. Okay, that's simply not true. We've had numerous gun control bills passed since 2015. There's not a word in the measure that creates any kind of equity committee. There's not a word in the measure that mandates the legislature take a single action. And even the people who promoted this measure have said it's so bad badly crafted that the legislature is going to have to fix it. They have no mandate to fix it. They have no requirement to fix it. There's no requirement for any kind of committee whatsoever. So I would really ask people to just look at what's in the measure and not the, the rhetoric that these people are promoting there's not a word in there that says anything about that. Besides, okay. the Democrats don't even agree with you, Miles. The Democrats refuse to endorse this measure because of their fears of what it will do to minority communities. All right. Uh, let's move on to a question from Roberta. She asks, so many of us are tired of thoughts and prayers as a response to gun violence. If not this measure, what can we do to address gun violence? Again, Mr. Sterrett, for you. Is what I've said over and over again. What we do to address gun violence is separate violent people from society, which is something in the current environment we simply seem to not want to do. And as the proponents of this measure have made clear over and over again, they don't believe that it serves any purpose. But if you're an inner city person who's scared to death to go outside with your children, I think you'll agree that taking violent people off the streets and out of the ability to hurt you is a good idea. Okay, and I'd like to get a response from the yes side there. Well, Again, the vast majority of deaths from guns in Oregon and in the country are deaths by suicide. So first off, Mr. Sturt's just talking about 20% of the problem. This measure talks about 100% of the problem. And uh, second, um, I, don't know, it, it, I don't know what deep inside of him is causing um, people like Miles and myself, causing him to believe that we don't believe in the police or we don't believe in law and order. There's there's something deep seated inside of Mr. Sterrett that is causing him to feel that I'm a prosecutor, right? Ask the defense attorneys and defendants who I've sent away to long sentences, whether I'm a pro or con on incarceration, right? Firing up the tough on crime rhetoric is not going to save, you know, the 500 people annually who die um, from suicide by guns. So we need to focus on the real issues, not the uh, uh, talking points that come from the 1960s. 
All right. Well, thanks for that helpful analysis, John. I wasn't aware of the fact that you also had a decree in that. But I'd love to talk about who, who you prosecute and who you refuse to prosecute. You refuse to prosecute people who lie about domestic violence cases. You, you protect those people, even though they've destroyed other people's lives, like Shane Morgan's. You know, why don't we talk about the people you protect instead of the people, the few people you prosecute, the people who you prosecute and declare guilty before they've ever been convicted, the people you have press conferences on declaring that their self-defense shootings are the same as a lynching of a 14-year-old. Let's talk about those for a while, if you'd like. All right, we're going to move on, uh, gentlemen, and move on to Nancy's question here. She asks, uh, what message of hope can you give to our young people that unprecedented gun violence, including school shootings, will be addressed in the near future? And we'll start off by asking that of the yes side. This, this, this is the message of hope. This is the opportunity that's right before us. This is the opportunity to say clearly and affirmatively, yes, I'll measure 114 to, again, necessitate an implementation process, a conversation across committees, votes on the floor of the Oregon State Legislature, so on and so forth, to ensure that the experiences that far too many people like you, your peers, colleagues, so on and so forth, have undergone. And my heart breaks. I'm only 24 myself. So just four or five years ago, I myself was a high school student with those same fears and those same considerations, praying and hoping and wishing for an opportunity like the one that we have currently right before us. But this is the hope. This is the opportunity. This is what you dream about. A chance to say yes on a measure, to vote, to lift your voice. Um, and even if you're somebody who can't vote right now, the hope and the opportunity is getting out, mobilizing, having conversations, sharing this resource, signing out different resources to engage, energize, and motivate people, mobilize them to execute their, uh, their right to vote, or if there's nothing else, have the conversation, share the information, and inspire people who can to do so. All right, uh, gentlemen, it's time now for closing statements. The yes side gave its first opening statement, and so we will now go to the first closing statement, and that will be from the yes side to begin. Uh, you have two minutes. I'll start. Uh, earlier this week, I attended an event in Portland to hear Pete Souza speak about his new book. Souza was the White House photographer during the Reagan and Obama administrations. Souza shared that one of the most moving moments during his time documenting President Obama was when he spoke in Newtown after the massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary. Souza quoted part of Obama's speech, and I'll read that. As a parent, it comes as a shock at a certain point where you realize no matter how much you love your kids, you can't do it by yourself. That the job of keeping our children safe and teaching them well is something we can only do together with the help of friends and neighbors, the help of a community and the help of a nation. And in that way, we come to realize that we bear a responsibility for every child because we're counting on everybody else to help look after ours, that we're all parents, that they're all our children. This is our first task, caring for our children, it's our first job. If we don't get that right, we don't get anything right. That's how, as a society, we will be judged. That was President Obama in 2012. Ten years later, how should we be judged? Parkland, Uvalde, Reynolds High and Troutdale, Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, just this week in Portland at Jefferson High, and dozens more. We're not doing enough to protect children. 114 is the more that we owe our kids. Every background check will be completed prior to the sale of a gun. Safety training will be required to buy a gun, which will reduce accidental deaths. The pause required for safety training will save people in a mental health crisis who are considering ending their lives by suicide. 
limiting magazine capacity to 10 rounds will result in fewer people killed during mass shootings. The evidence from Johns Hopkins shows us that 114 will save lives. So it comes down to this. Is the status quo acceptable to you? The loss of 600 Oregonians a year to gunshots is unacceptable to me. Please join me and thousands of others who say that enough is enough. Join us in voting yes on measure 114. Thank you. Mr. Hummel, thank you. It's time now for the closing argument, uh, closing statement from the opposing side. Mr. Sterrett. If you believe no one except the police should have the right to protect themselves, this ballot measure is for you. But no matter how you feel about the Second Amendment and the right to protect yourself and your loved ones, you should know what this what actually is in this measure. John Hummel has stated, if you don't support it, you support people being murdered, period. Even though the people who are promoting it have said many times it will have to be fixed in the legislature, John Hummel has stated the measure is perfect. Miles Pendleton has repeatedly stated that he does not believe people who commit crimes should be locked up. If you doubt this, Oregonian, the Oregon, Oregonian interview is on YouTube for anyone who wants to watch it. Meanwhile, this measure creates a whole new class of victimless crimes, but contains not a single word about holding people accountable if they do commit crimes. At a time when police are simply not responding and Oregonians are at the mercy of vicious predators, 114 guarantees they'll be defenseless, all while having zero effect on skyrocketing crime. I urge you to simply read the measure, measure and vote no. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much. That does conclude our debate on statewide measure 114. Thank you to Miles Rowe Pendleton and John Hummel representing the yes on measure 114 side. And thank you to Kevin Sterrett representing no on measure 14. And thank you again to City Club sponsors, Chevron and The Standard for making this event possible. And thank you to City Club for giving me the opportunity to moderate this debate. To all those viewing, thank you and please vote. Our general election is on Tuesday, November 8th, and you can vote anytime up until 8 p.m. that day. Our democracy depends on your participation, and we hope that you will vote. Make it a great day.